and welcome to the Australians Teach English podcast, the podcast by language learners with language learners for language learners. My name is Glenn, and I'm the owner and director of the Australians Teach English Institute. And I've been a little bit under the pump recently. Kids going back to school, people trying to organize classes again with my institute. It's been usually it is quite a stressful time for me at this time of the year. And I know it's been a stressful time for my for my guest again today, Melanie, for very different reasons. Have you been under the pump recently, Melanie? Hi, thanks for having me on again. Um, yes, we've been very stressed and under the pump around here in, in the hills of Perth in the last, uh, not last week, but the week before. But yeah, it has been very stressful and very under the pump. Yes. Uh, phrase it any perfectly. <laughs> so you so you've been you've been dodging fires, which unfortunately is a is a feature of 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 Australian of Australian summers. Yeah, but luckily, luckily to relieve your yeah. stress, you've had some fairly some fairly heavy heavy rains in the last few weeks, which has put out put out these fires. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the fire plus the snap lockdown we had for one week <laughs> is actually what, which uh, which I think is just really going to be a, a general feature of of you know of this pandemic is that well <laughs> there's going to be lockdowns for a whatever period of time I know it just whatever parts of the world and then the people are going to be under the pump for a short short amount of time very stressed out absolutely I just think that it was just like double whammy all at once i think yeah. that was what really got to a few of us up here in the hills um but yeah it's just uh it's definitely been under the pump school got put off for a week in perth some of us have are already <laughs> so, a week behind so the, parent, the, parent, the, uni. <laughs> the parents were really under the pump with their kids at home again when they weren't expecting them they were thinking oh wow i've finally can get rid of my kids again and now all of a sudden they're at home again so the parents were put under the pump <laughs> with exactly their, with their kids at home and and this is this is a, a good time to be recording this episode because today we're talking about one of the features of of English and and languages in general and I'm very lucky that Melanie is here with us today because she she has studied a lot uh, of of linguistics so she is going to be the expert on this episode. She's certainly more, more experienced in this topic than I am. And so when we, when we talk, about, talk about languages in terms of their, their stress, there are generally two types of languages. There are two categories of languages. We have stress-timed or stress-based languages, and we have syllable-timed languages. And Melanie is probably going to be able to explain it a little bit better than I can. So could you explain the difference for our listeners, Melanie? Right. So we have we have a couple of, of categories of stress, like you've mentioned. So you have your um, stress uh, timed where, you know, we have syllables that are actually being stressed. And then in the other one, in the other category, we're looking at actual vowels being stressed, right? And um, within the 
stress of the syllables, we have two more categories and that's free stress and fixed stress. So we have to think about those things when we think about, oh, where are we stressing? What are we yes, stressing? Yes, but I think, I think, I think for, for, for the listeners out there, it's really the, it's really the, the first one and the second one that are, that are the important ones to, to be thinking about when we are learning, a, learning another language. The, the other ones really are of interest to people that, that study the languages professionally, but I'm not sure that they have as much, as much practical use when you're actually learning a language to, to use them. That's my opinion anyway. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I just, I'm just a little bit of a nerd. So I just, I like knowing what uh, my languages that I speak are doing and, and what it is that I'm doing when I'm mimicking what I hear other people say. Because a lot of the times we just go with the flow and we're not actually realizing what we're doing. And that's one of the things that I really liked when I studied and I got my degree in language studies was I really wanted to learn and study the languages and I wanted to see what they were, you know, doing yeah. at a linguistic level. Actually, there, there is a, there is a, a school of thought that says that at, at the, at the advanced levels that this is actually quite important or can improve your, your language learning ability. It's, it's called the metalinguistics. So learning about what it is that you are learning. Not just, not just learning certain things, but okay. So, what is it that you're actually learning here? What is it called? Okay, so maybe you're not gonna, you're not gonna use this, but understanding what you're learning can then actually help you to to actually push your learning even even further. So that's probably your your case, Melanie. And Absolutely. certainly, and, cer and certainly, a lot of our students do like learning this. And I think it's a good thing that they learn this because it can help them in a very practical level to be able to um, understand and pinpoint where it is that they might be, um, you know, sort of falling through the through the cracks and not getting and not being able to understand how to pronounce something or how to effectively communicate something that they're trying to get across, yes. especially with English, because English is a very hard language to learn as an outsider into English, as a person who learns English as their first language is actually quite easy, but as an outsider, it's very confusing. And so it's, it's, it's very important to be able to get these little um, bits of technical um, tricks to our students so that they can be able to really make the best out of their English learning experience. Yes. And, and the stress and the stress time nature of English is, is one of those reasons why it is, it is a little bit more difficult for outsiders or some outsiders to learn. For example, German is, is a, is a stress time language. And so often we notice that people that, that speak Germanic languages, they often have a, an easier time with conversational English than say maybe French or, or Spanish speakers where, where their language is, is a syllable timed language. So can you tell us what, what a syllable timed language is? Right. So a syllable, to, oh, sorry, it's a, <laughs> a syllable time language. I know, right? <laughs> a syllable time language is a language that's um, the stress is based on the actual um, syllable versus when you're speaking Spanish or one of these other more um, 
vowel-based languages, you're actually putting the stress on the vowel itself. And luckily, we have a little bit of a, uh, a trick in Spanish or in French or in Italian is that when you're reading it, we actually put the accent on the O or the A or the vowel that it needs to be accented in. So it makes it a lot easier to be able to see and understand what it is that we're speaking versus in English, we don't have any of these accents. Plus we would have to put it on an actual syllable rather than on, an, on a vowel itself. And so that's where the tricky part comes in. Where is it that we are stressing and we're putting the intonation in this syllable itself of a word? And usually it comes down to the most important word in a sentence. I needed to go to the car. So you hear it in needed because the most important thing in that sentence is that you needed to do something. Um, and as a person who speaks English as a you know native speaker, you might not notice that that's what you're doing. But when we say a sentence like, I needed to go to the car, we usually put the intonation in the syllable of needed. And it's the most important word in the sentence. And therefore we know that that's what needed to happen. I needed to go to the car. Um, and so when it comes to putting the stress in a sentence in English, it usually is on the syllable of the most important word of the sentence. It's kind of an important thing to teach our students because then they know to put the intonation on the word needed rather than in car. Right. So I this is, so this, so this is what we call, this is what we call sentence stress. So there is a, there is a couple of, there is a couple of ways that students can, can, can think about this and that teachers can actually teach this. So you can, you can look at a sentence, for example, I needed to go to the car and you can hear that. And well, the main verb in that sentence is need and the information word in that sentence is car. So therefore the two words or the two sounds in that sentence that you need to stress are need and car. So this also feeds into one of the other, one of the other interesting aspects of, of learning languages and particularly English is what we call the, the, the lexical method, basically teaching vocabulary as the primary way of, of learning a language. Because you could say need and car, I need car. And so the information from that sentence, the main information is actually carried in just those two words of the sentence. So someone can go, okay, so you, what do you need the car? If you need something from the car. So this is, this is, this is a way of learning basic languages. It's like, it's like child. It's how ch children learn to speak a language. You can even think of a more simple sentence like, okay, so let's think about the book is on the table. If you say book and table, you can answer actually a question. It doesn't yep, actually because need to be more indicated. than that. Yeah, you've indicated book and table. Yeah. So this is and an so, yeah. yeah, so this is an exercise that students can do is actually deconstructing the sentence and actually looking at what are the important words in the sentence here. And these are the ones that we actually stress, that we put more focus on, we put more energy on. Yeah. 
And that's the thing about English is that because we put the intonation on the important words, we can therefore make a short sentence like I needed to go to the car just as fast as a sentence that has maybe three stressed syllable words and a bunch of other in the at sort of determiners and, um, you know, little bits and pieces that aren't actually vowels or, I'm sorry, nouns or verbs. And so a lot of the times I find that people that come from speaking Spanish to learn English have a little bit of trouble with how fast we speak English because we don't realize that even though the sentence has got four more words than the last one, it's actually going just as fast as the first sentence Correct. because of this stress. So, so this is what the, these are all features of what we would call connected speech. So, so in, in connected speech, what happens is that all of the words around these information words take on what we would call a weak form. So, so especially, you know, my students, my Spanish speaking students that, that then will say the book is on the table. There's basically stressing every single word, giving, giving importance to, to, to each word in the sentence, but it doesn't, it doesn't work like that in, in English. These words in the middle, they take a, they take a weakened form. Yeah, so I think the problem with coming in from Spanish to English is that we have a very fixed stress in Spanish. So we fix it. It's always going to be on a particular vowel in a particular word in a part of the sentence. And then on top of that, it's very trisyllabic. It's like a very trisyllabic window. So every like three syllables, we're going to have an intonation within the sentence itself as well. And so we try to do the same thing coming into English and it doesn't work the same way. Yes. And this is, this is the feature of a syllable timed language is that it is, it is predictable. And th this is why in Spanish you can make a question without changing the words in a, in a sentence, whereas in English where you would use an auxiliary verb or, or whatever. And this is, this is why Spanish speakers or French speakers often have difficulty asking questions in, in English is because not only do you add an auxiliary verb, but you also have to stress, often have to stress that auxiliary verb in the sentence to make sure that the person understands that it is actually a question. Yep. Whereas in Spanish, all you do is you change the intonation, you change the stress and it goes from being, it goes from being a normal sentence to a question sentence. Yep. An interrogatory sentence. <laughs> and, and again, this is the problem that, yeah, some of the students out there, what's an interrogatory sentence? A question sentence. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, what, yeah. That's, that's what it is. I wouldn't know what an interrogatory nope. sentence is. <laughs> but but th th there are. I'm just uh, saying it because recently it came up in my Spanish class where the, the, the book that we're using um, had, you know, what we're going to learn in this chapter. And one of the things was, you know, interrogatory sentence. <laughs> you actually had to teach what like, an interrogatory sentence like, was. What does that mean? Yeah. And I was like, it just means a question. <laughs> exactly. Question sentence. I don't understand why it needs to be more difficult than that. But then again, I'm. I'm it's just for the I'm teaching me. purposes so that you know more than you actually need. Yeah. Well, you never can. 
well, I mean, to interrogate is something quite scary. It's what happens if you get arrested. They're going to interrogate you. So yeah, what pretty, are they doing? They're questioning you. They're making, asking you questions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, so then we've got these these two these two features of these two types of languages. We have we have stress timed languages. We have syllable timed languages. Okay, so we have elements of this. What what does it? How can we apply it to learners? Perhaps one thing that we haven't haven't looked at is how is how students, for example, that from from English speaking backgrounds. Or, or stress timed languages can then go and learn syllable timed languages. I, I, this is this is something that I find difficult. Um, but one of the best tips that I was given was not to ignore the accents when you are writing, because this will actually help you to understand where the stress goes. In particular in particular words and in particular sentences. Yep, yep. Especially if you're learning French, you've got about five different accents. I'm pretty sure it's five, could be seven. I just remember- <laughs> I don't know, why, why are you asking me? I, I don't speak French, you do. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's five. Um, but yeah, I just remember in high school, just completely bombing an exam. And I didn't know why. I had placed either the accents in the wrong spot or didn't put them in at all. And my professor or teacher at the time was not um, very happy about it. Was she not said, no, you basically... No, she's not. Not like, bien. You fail. Not très bien. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, but yeah, so French is, is pretty much like, um, uh, same as Polish. It's a, it's a fixed stress, you know, it's, it's very fixed where it is. And if you're learning French as in, and also as Spanish or Italian or Portuguese, pay attention to those written accents. One of my best advice to my students is just read. I know that it's like, I'm not going to understand what I'm reading, but give it a go. Pick up a simple book, maybe a, a fifth grade reading book. I mean, it might be a bit hard, especially if you're just learning, but a fifth grade reading book, I don't know, maybe Harry Potter or something in Spanish. <laughs> something that's easy to read and that you can get into and just pick up all those accents, you know? Yeah. I recently read, finished a, a book in Portuguese or Bobo. And um, I, I was really battling to understand it. And then, uh, and then when I finished, I read some, I read some reviews about it and they were saying, Oh, even native speakers have to read this book with a, uh, a dictionary. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Portuguese. I advise um, Paolo Coelho. He's got some beautiful novels, like The Alchemist. Or... Yeah, there's lots of memes about him, though. He's kind, <laughs> he's kind of a bit of a joke in literature. I'm, like, you know I'm, I'm literally outside the loop when it comes to the memes about Paolo. I just oh, know I that I read his books because I really like them, but they're easy to understand in terms of language. Okay. All right. All right, then I'll have to I have to give it a go for the purposes of, of learning. <laughs> well, you can find you can find his books in English, in Spanish, or in Portuguese. Yep. So it should be something, especially in Argentina, it might be something really easy to find in Portuguese. Probably. 
Well, now with my Kindle, I can get I can get everything. Actually, the the Kindle is the perfect invention for for language learning because you, you you actually have the ability to get books in in almost any language that you want. And when you are reading, you can also highlight the words, and it will give you the the definition in in either that that target language or in your own language. So it's 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 brilliant for 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 learning languages. I got to say. But you said you said something wow. interesting there that okay, I'm, so, I, I'm more of a book person. I know I can see it behind you there. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm I'm a book person as well, but I live in a small apartment. I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to move, if I'm going to be living here. You're so, forgiven. So you're so, forgiven. <laughs> I would I would love to have a huge library with, with books and I'm a bibliophile. The but, Kindle but, is an environmentally friendly device, so I approve. <laughs> and you, you said something interesting there that, that Polish, for example, is a syllable timed language, but it's obviously next door to it's next door to, to Germany, which is, is a stress timed language. So do, do you know why why some of these languages become syllable timed languages and why some become stress time languages well i wouldn't say they become i think what it is is that the way the languages are is that they sort of originate from one area and then there's human movement imagine that languages were created a long long time ago and humans were nomadic and so there was human movement and polish is actually a slavic language so it would have started somewhere in Eastern Europe and made its way up to Poland versus German. The, that's a Germanic language and that's been there for a while. And that sort of moved around the, that area and had its own trajectory of movements. And when we talk about romantic languages like Romanian and Italian, um, French, Spanish, that had its own movement around Europe as well. And so languages sort of evolve. They're very organic in that sense. Um, they kind of start off as this, this, this one language, like for example, Latin, in, in, which is what I studied with the Romantic languages, start off as Latin, and then it moved on. And as the Roman Empire went around and did its thing on the first and the second time around, it took over different cultures and it put its influences in different cultures. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how today we find a lot of languages that are next door to each other and actually are completely different in terms of, of stress. Yeah, one, one question that I sort of have about, have about this, and I don't think I've really been able to, to, find, to find an answer is, is okay, so, so are the languages that were um, evolved more from from the written languages for example latin was based on an alphabet so on so on whereas the germanic languages were were more spoken language and chinese mandarin is another example of this they're, they're prime they were primarily spoken spoken languages before they were they were written languages and is there an influence on this in terms of the actual sentence structure I, I'm yet hmm. to find a. I'm yet to find a good answer. That's that's a really good question. I should hit up one of my professors from yeah. back in the day in Santa Cruz, see what they have to say about this. Um, 
Yeah. I'd never even thought about it. It's not something that was mentioned to us, but I think one of the things that one of my favorite professor ever at UC Santa Cruz said, and, and I just took this class as a, fun you know, class. one of your bro- broadening <laughs> fun units, you know, to slack off. And then, I know and how then it is. thanks to that class, I ended up with a language studies degree. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it was called uh, language society and culture. And this is where I learned about this concept of language, right? And, and how it, it sort of moved around and all that. And one of the things that he said to us was, remember, reading and writing a language does not entail that you know the language. Knowing the language at a linguistical level is being able to understand it and be able to speak it. If you can communicate effectively and you can understand effectively what's going on, you speak the language fluently. Everything else comes with practice. And yeah, so I, yeah. You know, I, I took that to heart. <laughs> I mean, this is this is this is one of the well, something that I've kind of thought of w- with languages is that they they weren't really designed to be written; they were designed to be spoken. And so, so you find that um, you know the languages that that are from from nomadic tribes or indigenous tribes they have very simple grammatical structures because they're not important. And what, what, what's important is, is there what, what's in front of you now? What, what's there to help you to survive? So to communicate, yeah. Yeah, to communicate what, what's, what's, and, what's necessary. And a, Everything else is kind of an abstract kind of concept. Written language has only been what here with us for what, four or 5,000 years whereas spoken language has been with us for a, a lot lot long longer than than that and, and there's still many traditions and cultures today that have a very heavily um oral language tradition where a lot of their sacred knowledge has been passed down orally and europe used to be that way too i mean we've got you know ballads and epics that used to be around and it wasn't until written language became popular that they actually decided maybe we should write this down but we don't really know what the original of it was because it's changed so much from the well i mean the the the, the, the greek epics the the greek tragedies are, are classic classic examples of that uh, they they were we we think of them as as written literally written in stone but they weren't they were orally reproduced um well before they well before they were they were written yeah and yeah and and often well okay so we think about this as as being sort of uh and antiquated but you find even even for example in in chinese mandarin a lot of the stories are are, are still in spoken spoken tradition because it wasn't in well probably I'm not sure what the literacy rates in, in China are, but certainly until about 50 or 60 years ago, most people were illiterate and it was almost purely a spoken language with no, 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 com- well, very, some commonalities between the different, between the different regions. So one of the, the biggest challenges has been actually unifying, unifying a language so that they can actually be, mutually understandable and that can be very tricky in a big big piece of land like china so 
I don't know much about China, but one of the examples that I think is applicable here is the example that I learned in this really awesome unit that I took once upon a time, where I got to write a paper about whether Spain had different languages or different dialects of Spanish Spain. <laughs> We're going to get someone from Barcelona or Valencia that's very angry with you here. And the reality is that they're all different languages. They are not dialects. All right, you're going to get Spanish. someone from that Madrid that's very angry thing. with you. <laughs> it's a highly political thing. Yeah. And I've got family members to attest saying it's a different language. So for example, my grandmother, she she passed away. Rest in peace, Ochilita, mi abuelita. Um, but my grandmother, she was Basque. And so <laughs> there's no way that she would say that her language, that <laughs> the language of her family was similar to Spanish at all, at all. It was very, very different. And, and the Basque language is actually like an Indo-European language. Yeah. But then you go to somewhere like Barcelona, where they speak Catalan, or then you go down to the south, you know, you go to the, the, the Cordoba, the Zaragoza region, or the Madrid region, or the Galicia, or Castile region, and they all have very different oh. languages. Yeah, my, so, my, my, my friend, my friend Emma, she's one of my, one of my flamenco teachers, she's gone back to, to Spain now, but she, <laughs> she, 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 she would ask me, oh, Glenn, do you understand? And she would, she would speak in Spanish, and then and I would say, yes, yes. And then she would say something in Andalus and I wouldn't have. Oh, forget it. A clue. Oh, she's speaking and everyone Andalus, would laugh forget at me it. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> and everyone else in the class, oh, don't worry. We don't understand her either. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's, in, in her region, you know, the Andalus region, it, it was, it's, it's, again, to me, when I wrote the paper, I argued that they were actually different languages and that, uniting them as quote-unquote dialects of Spanish was a very political thing in order to unite the United Kingdoms of Spain. Because remember that they were all separate kingdoms with their own separate cultures and traditions that all became united. So I don't know much about the Chinese history. I cannot speak to that. But just from knowing a little bit of the fact that like Cantonesian is a um, high you know like spanish is very um syllable based vowel yeah. syllable you know based you know it's the vowels that are getting stressed versus what from what i gather that you know you speak mandarin that that's more stress based on the on the syllables the same as english that you know you have these two languages all within the same big big huge region like china china is a huge country compared to little old Spain, you know, <laughs> I'm imagining that there would be a big sort of, you know, movement of language that started off as one thing and then changed and progressed as the regions became secluded from one another, especially in, in the mountain regions. You know, you can imagine that you're up in the mountains and you're very isolated. The more isolated a language becomes, the more variation is going to get from the other ones. Yeah. And, and this is, this is not, I mean, we think of this sort of, well, this is kind of a Eurocentric debate, but probably most famously in, in Spain, but, uh, but it actually happens in, in various places around the world in Ch China is one. Indonesia is probably actually an even more famous example. The Philippines as well. I was going to say también. <laughs> también, <So>. también. 
Hey, they say también there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, so the Tagalog is Tagalog is is like a mixture of their indigenous languages with 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 Spanish. The colonizer. So, mm. so a, a question often is from from Chinese students and probably from Indonesian students and Philippine students as, as well as well, why why do does everyone have to learn English and not you know for example Chinese or Hindi or whatever India is another classic example of this actually and and my response is well it's probably actually easier if everyone just learns English as the lingua franca than it is to to try and learn all of the all of the languages within the region of the of that one 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 country so that is my response to that is that English becomes the the de facto lingua franca because it's just easier to do that than it is to then unify all the languages in one 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 area well yeah. English and French are the lingua franca in uh in international <laughs> well, the, law yeah so, well i mean you know. the, the french like to like to think that they're very important <laughs> i think well i mean the second most spoken language in the world outside of english uh, well it's hindi isn't it and and hindi and 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 yeah just ignore um, all those other non-european languages <laughs> no those non-european languages <laughs> exactly <laughs> Exactly. Well, I mean, does it count as a European language? Because I mean, we're talking about Mexico down to Argentina. That's a huge area of Hispano Latino Americano language. And it is different to the Spanish Spanish. And yeah. when I teach Spanish, I have to teach the different sounds and the different words and the different meanings of of every different type of Spanish because I don't know where my students are going to travel. I don't know yeah. if they're going to Spain, if they're going to Mexico, Central America or South America. Yeah. So, so my, my, the, the, my Institute students in Spain are going, are going to kill me with this, but how would you pronounce chicken in Spanish? <laughs> Bosho. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. That's just the way it is. But one of the things, if you're learning Spanish, if you're learning Spanish, it's okay to pronounce pocho or pollo. However, if you're going to pronounce the double L as a sh or a y, you have to pronounce the Y in the same sentence as a sh or a y. Oh. So if you're going to say sho como pocho, I eat chicken, sho como pocho, that's fine. But if you're going to say it, Without the sh sound, you have to say yo como pollo. You can't say yo como pollo. That's that's weird, and no one's going to understand you, and everyone's going to go, "What? You're an infiltrator. Why yes. are you speaking all so, weird?" So, so, this, so this is what we call Rio Platense. The, this, this double, <laughs> this double L, or this riega, the Y becomes the sh sound here in in, in Buenos Aires, and it's the Castellano. <laughs> and everyone outside Argentina is going to kill us for doing this. <laughs> well, the thing but, is about Castellano is that it, it plays, it's, it plays by its own rules. And sometimes mm -hmm. I wonder, is Castellano more of a fixed base stress? Just like, you know, we're picking up stresses in places that wouldn't be there otherwise in mm -hmm. Spanish normally. Mm -hmm. And so people that speak Spanish 
Castellano Spanish actually can speak really fast because of that. We're yeah. able to sort of pick up and put extra stresses on syllables the way we do in English. So that's why a lot of the times people that come from Spain or from Mexico might be like, man, you speak so fast. Yeah, you the potential bring speak it really down fast. a notch. Yeah, it's because of the connect. The, it's the connected speech. So, so the, the, this is another thing that we call a, a, a lesion when, when sounds are actually dropped from sentences. And that's probably, it's, it's generally regarded as, as kind of a, I don't know, an uneducated form of, of speaking, but something you will hear here in Buenos Aires is instead of nos vemos, you'll hear no vemos, things like, things like this. Um, and and then we we will have you know in, as as well as the elision where we're dropping sounds we have intrusive sounds so the to to connect the speech so so the classic example with Australian English is the intrusive ah so instead of saying China and Japan you would say China run Japan yeah so China. the and so the and <laughs> becomes run so China run Japan. because it makes it makes the sounds flow flow more easily you don't have a pause between these sounds and because of that then it 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 appears like well it probably actually is that the the sentence is actually faster i'm not sure if it's actually actually proven that or not i think that's still (laughs) i think that's still debatable i don't know if it's proven but sometimes i do when i moved here at first i realized that a lot of the words my uh, fiance at the time was saying, I didn't understand why he didn't finish the intonation on the, on the words, you know, like mm-hmm. water, you know, water. you're going to drink some water. Water. <laughs> water. <laughs> and, and, and after a while I started making fun of him and I was like, how do you spell that? And he'll say something, he'll take the piss and go, Oh, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like what? But you know, but that's just a joke. But the, the thing is that, yeah, a lot of the times with the English, especially in Australia, I find that that R is a sneaky one. Yeah. The intrusive R is is one to watch out mm. for and it's not it's not uh, unfamiliar because certainly in in the united states they would definitely use that intrusive r i think it is it is actually something that is used in most in most variations of english but especially much more prominent in in australian english so there's definitely one one to look out for the, the interesting thing that i have I, i'm lucky enough to to teach Kid, kids in China a lot and and one feature is that com- the I mean the Chinese kids are very hard working there's no doubt about that but they're able to develop a very good spoken English relatively quickly and without without an accent compared to say uh, someone from from Argentina or Spain or France they might learn English from the time that they are five or six years old, but unless they work really hard, they will still have an accent. Whereas, whereas my kids in China, they will often have a completely neutral accent by the time they are seven or eight. And I put this down to not because they work any harder, but the nature of the language itself, that because it is, because it is a stress-timed language, it changes the feature of the of the vowel sounds. 
Right. So yeah, that it's they have the the phonetic stress on their side. Correct. It does help. So so yeah. they so so they're also what we would call a tonal. It's a tonal language. Oh, so, it is. So changing changing the sounds to change meaning is is completely is completely normal. So one the classic example in Chinese is ma, which can mean either mum, mother, horse, <laughs> or or it can be a question. It can mean something else as well. But these are the three main uses of this sound. So if you pronounce it wrong and you're talking to your mum, you're calling her a horse. So so the the stress actually becomes mu- a much more important feature. Can you imagine. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I think in in Chinese there are lots Can of you jokes. In there are lots of jokes about this. You, either... <laughs> you call your mama horse. <laughs> I mean, in Spanish that has a like a, a serious connotation. Like, yeah, you if know, you, call you call someone your a shegua, shegua is pre- it's a pretty horrible <laughs> insult. Yeah, You'd be in they, some serious problems. <laughs> they use that. They use that against some politicians around around the place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so it's a pretty, yeah, but, but there are, there are jokes, there are jokes about that in, in, so, so what we would consider wordplay or puns, things like that, they do the same thing in, in the Chinese, in Chinese Mandarin because of this, because of this exact reason. So. Wow, that's it's really good to hear about your students and how easy it is to get them to be able to <laughs> well, some, pronounce some things of, perfectly. But but it, it is interesting the different drills that you can get them to do and how they respond to them differently. So they they will respond generally much better to to intonation drills than than say my my students that that come from a Spanish a Spanish background. They're actually able to understand the right rising intonation and lowering intonation and when you would when you would do this i think the best way to practice is to immerse yourself in a culture where everybody's speaking english around you yeah my dad the way that he learned he was 23 22 years old when he moved to the u.s never spoke, never studied a single day of English. And he moved in there and he was like, I'm going to America. Me voy a hacer la América. <laughs> and he did. And the way that he learned English and today he speaks with really good accents. Sometimes he doesn't, him and Simon can't communicate, but I mean, come <laughs> on. I mean, he, he just learned Californian English. We can't expect poor dad to understand, you know, English, English from the hills, <laughs> <laughs> from the hills of Perth. But yeah, so um, the best way that he learned, he says, was I would turn on and listen to the news in English and I would watch movies in English and I would just listen to the way, especially very exaggerated versions of English. So something very dramatic in English mm-hmm. is something that's very exaggerated. And so he would listen to that and he would practice and he would you know he'd be driving around in LA so lots of traffic thinking about the movie he watched and he would think about the way that I don't know Brad Pitt or George Clooney or whoever it is that he was watching the night before pronounced a particular sentence and so um when he interacted with his clients he tried to <laughs> he tried to bust to, out to mimic to mimic sentences 
<laughs> he tried to mimic. He tried to mimic their sentences. Yeah, and that and that was the really good way. And and you know, full twenty two years old. That is, you're you're an adult. You're way past your language learning years. And if someone like that can do it just by listening and immersing themselves in the culture, then somebody that's much younger can do it too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One, one, there are a couple of good. There are a couple of good exercises that people can actually do do for this. I mean, karaoke, for example, is yeah, <laughs> is a yep. good thing to do. I mean, I mean, a lot of teachers are listening to music. You don't get the correct pronunciation and stuff like that, but you might actually get the correct sort of connected speech. Yes, you, you, the actual sentences or the phrases might not be in the correct overall structure, but you will actually get to see how sounds can work together. Yeah. So, so it is. A, it is a part of. It is a part of the jigsaw. It is a part of the jigsaw puzzle. The, the Absolutely. Other, the other thing is is your tool will come back to this because I have some funny stories with this. <laughs> is is on the actual the the stress within the words itself. For example, when ah, I, yes. when I came to Buenos Aires, I was I was staying I was staying with a a, a lovely a lovely lady who wanted to practice her her English and she and she comes into my room and she says I'm I want to clean clean your shits <laughs> and I said oh bless her and I said you're doing what <laughs> she meant your shirts didn't she no sheets sheets oh. sheets and this is a this is a classic this is a classic yes. With, with yes. Spanish speakers not being able to pronounce sh- sheets, sheep, and beach. So actually, this long, this long stressed e ah. sound is actually a difficult one for most, mo- yeah. almost all students learning. It is English, actually. Yeah. Um, so so My... one so one way that I teach this is that you're happy when you go to the beach, so you need to smile when you're going to the beach, and that's how you actually practice that sound. You're doing, you're doing it now. You're no, doing- I am. I am. I am. Because I have a really funny, I have a super funny example. Tell me. So my dad, I love him to death. Um, poor dad. So, you know, he works with a lot of, um, you know, high profile characters and stuff. He does custom woodworking in the U.S. And anyway, so here he is with his super rich, fancy client. I don't remember who it was at the time. And um, he cannot pronounce the difference between these three words beach peach <laughs> and bitch <laughs> and and it's and it's you know and that and i like your little bit i'm gonna tell him that i'm like you have to smile if you're at the beach <laughs> because you have beach peach and completely different bitch but somehow to him in his head it's all the same because the stress within the word is um he is trying to put it onto the vowels and you you have to forget about that in english yeah and and also also because there is no difference between the the p and the b the p and the b in spanish so so spanish speakers will hear exactly the same will hear exactly the same sound really yep. difficult this this sound this sound recognition so i can i can see why someone that hasn't hasn't grown up with with any english at all would not be able to distinguish these three these three words 
Yeah, so I like mean, it. we tried to have them in drilling sessions. We'd sit in the car and be like, "Say, repeat after me, repeat after me, Dad." <laughs> yeah, but there isn't there is an interesting there is an interesting thing, and we, we've spoken we've spoken with with well, I've spoken with Oriana a little bit about this. Is that the the way that the the brain processes languages, and we're learning more about this all of the time. But there actually seems to be something with with the areas of the brain that actually produce pronunciation and that seem to have some connection with sound recognition as well. So yes. for, for me, actually, my, I had a lot of trouble with my listening when I came and just with my listening skills in general. And they really started to improve when I started practicing my pronunciation, the physical pronunciation of Spanish. And so there is something to this that, actually improving the physical pronunciation seems to actually help with your sound recognition. There is something going on in the, the brain. We don't really know about this, but there seems to be a pattern with this for whatever reason. So, so it's not just about, about your pronunciation. It is also, this can help you with your sound. It appears like it can help you with your sound recognition. There seems to be some scientific evidence yeah, there this. is. And sometimes kids, um, children have to go to a phono- uh, audiologist and a speech, phonologist. Speech pathologist. A speech, speech pathologist, depending on the country that you're in, they're called different things, mm-hmm. um, in order to be able to do that. So my mother, being Argentine, um, she grew up in a Portuguese house, or her father was Portuguese, her mother's Bosque. <laughs> And she was babysat for the most part by an Italian grandmother. So she had a lot of language around her <laughs> Going growing on. up in, in Argentina, right? Um, and so she couldn't, poor thing, she was going to school. And you know how brutal kids can be. They don't, they don't, they don't, they're not bad. They're just kids. Kids are brutal. And um, she couldn't pronounce the trill. So we know how very important a trill is in Spanish. So she, she couldn't say perro. So she said the three words came out exactly the same. Perro, dog. Pero, as in the conjunction in the word but. So but, yeah, but, but the conjunction, conjunction, yeah. And pedo, which is fart. So you can imagine. <laughs> Ni en pedo. <laughs> I have a little pedo, you know, pedo. I have a little dog. I, you're yeah, that, the, 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 the... And, and. And that was one. So, yeah. So, sorry. So going back to what you were saying about how very important it is to be able to acquire these sounds in order to be able to mimic them. Yeah, it's actually really important. And one of the things that I studied and we learned was that um, between the ages of two and nine, maybe 11, depending on the kid, you have this thing. There's a part in your brain that's called the language acquisition it's like a sponge. It just acquires language, which could be why your young students are able to acquire language a lot easier than those of us that have to learn. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot afterwards. of there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of debate about this one. There's a lot of debate. Yeah, I mean, it's all about the brains. <laughs> it, 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 but it's, you know, it's, it's it's one thing that I say. Well, is it because is it because you're your brain is physically old or is it because you mentally refuse to learn like a kid? I don't know, but I remember sitting in through like the little exam thing, like, you know, how they, 
they, I don't, I, I can't even remember anymore, but I remember that at some stage in my life, I sat through some test run of sorts. I didn't mind getting paid to do some tests here and there. Guinea pig. It was, I was in college and I needed money, man. Yeah. I got a free and... pizza for one psychological study. I remember that. And I was pretty happy with I that. I think I got about 20 bucks. I think I got 20 bucks. <laughs> but, uh, but it I'm was sure, I'm sure the pizza um, didn't influence my results at all. <laughs> no, not at all. But yeah, one of those many little bits and pieces I did was um, on the language acquisition bit because I'm able to just pick up on accents immediately in different languages. So, you know, that's why I'm able to speak so many different languages yeah, so that, far. That's, that's definitely but an advantage of growing I up in a bilingual, think bilingual what household. You, true, but I also think what you were saying has a lot of merit to it about being able to have those listening skills. Growing up, I played many instruments. So I played the clarinet, the saxophone, the piano, and the this and the that, you know, guitar, whatever. And so being in a band made me sit there and listen, listen a lot to tones and to, you know, uh, you know tuning things. And, yeah, the movement and of sound. Notes, the movement of sound, the flow. And so, and being able to listen to someone instructing me on top of all the other sound and the trumpets behind me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you kind of have that listening seal really going on. So I think that what you were saying has a lot of merit to it. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, like I, I love learning like a child. <laughs> I love, I love like singing. I'll, I'll, uh, my friend Antonella, the, the next co-host on this, on this show, I, I will, I will send her, I will send her audio messages of me singing her kids songs in, in Spanish, things like this. I think these are great activities to do. I don't think, I, I have the, the philosophy that it's not because your brain is younger. It's just because you refuse to, to be like a child when you're learning. And I think if you, if, you can, if you can put all that embarrassment away and go back to learning like a child, you will find that you will learn a, a lot more, that more easily. That's my, that's my suggestion. I love reading kids' stories, love reading kids' books because they're fantastic to learn from. Absolutely. Yeah. I get my students to sing happy birthday to each other. <laughs> yeah. But people do that as adults. <laughs> no, I know, but I make them do that in Spanish and I make them sing Merry Christmas songs to each other. And you need to get them to and, sing like you know, sap, every morning. Sapo Pepe and things like this. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you need to do. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. Oh goodness. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for the, uh, for the advice. I'm, I'm, I'm writing them all down. So, so on Tuesday, when I get them to sing Sapo Pepe, then they'll know why. Yeah, exactly. So I definitely, I definitely feel less under the pump after, after having spoken about some of these really technical and, and difficult, difficult sort of linguistic issues. What, what, what about you, Melanie? How, how are you feeling? I'm feeling definitely less under the pump now less that we've linguistically, linguistically broken down some of these linguistical features of our beloved languages we speak every day. So speaking of these beloved languages, how, how would you say something like under the pump in some of the other languages that you know? Ah, uh, hmm. Geez, what a terrible student. This was your homework. I know. I, I know. Like, I don't know. Do I, what context do I put it in? Estoy muy apurada. Estoy recontra apurada. Estoy, estoy. 
a velocidad luz, you know, like I'm thinking there's a lot of um, slang that we come up with, you know, in Spanish. So I'm, I'm thinking, what's the best way to say it? Like, am, am I running at lightning speed? Am I, am I, you know, what is under the pump really? Um, and that's the thing. You're never going to get a literal translation. And I always tell my students, there is a literal translation that makes no sense. And then you have an interpreted translation. Yeah, may, maybe so, maybe something that I would say would be hasta, hasta mi cuelo, hasta mi dientes, something. Hasta, got right, yeah. So that would like be that. like. I'm up to my, I'm, I'm up to my neck. I'm up to my teeth, yes. Like estoy hasta los dientes, estoy hasta la cabeza. Yeah. <laughs> that would you say probably something a little bit more rude. There's yeah. a little bit more ruder things you can say. <laughs> yeah. Especially in, especially here in Buenos Aires. Especially in Spanish. Yeah. Well, I mean, naturally, my brain just goes straight to that. But I'm not going to go there today. Well, what about what about in, what about in French or, or Italian? What a, what would you say? I don't know. <laughs> I, I know enough that I can read and write and I can communicate in effectively, but these sort of sayings and little, you know, um, dichos, it, yeah, that's something that you learn in the culture. And I haven't even been to Italy yet, so, or France, so I can't even. Well, you've been to Buenos Aires, so you're sort of halfway to Italy, apparently. <laughs> I've been to little Italy. <laughs> little Italy. <laughs> With the pasta and the pizza and the strange, the strange accent. <laughs> so, so if you if you are a speaker of another language and you and you have you have an, ex, an expression for under the pump in in your language, which means to be to be well up to your neck, pressured. your teeth in pressured with work or or anything like this, um, we would we would certainly love to hear about it. We would also love to hear about your your thoughts on on the on the types of languages, and and tricks, tips for for learning these these languages. I mean, this is what we're what we're here to do. We're all we're all language learners here, and we want we want to actually get better at learning languages. So if if there are other tricks that people have have thought of that they found helpful in, in their language journey in, in regards to pronunciation, in regards to stress or syllables, then we would really love to hear about it. So until next time, it's us at the Australians Teach English podcast, the podcast by language learners, with language learners, for language learners, saying goodbye. Bye-bye. Ciao. For more information about the Australians Teach English Institute, go to australiansteachenglish.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook and YouTube at Australians Teach English.